In J.I. Packer's book, A Quest for Godliness, he begins this book by making reference to the giant redwoods that are there in the northern portion of our state. He says, on a narrow strip of the northern California coastline grow the giant redwoods, the biggest living things on earth. Hopefully, you guys have all seen them. If you haven't, do it this summer, for sure. Amazing. Some are over 360 feet tall. Some trunks are more than 60 feet round. They do not have much, much foliage for their size. All their strength is in those huge trunks with foot-thick bark that rise sheer for almost half their height before, they branch, before branching out. Some have actually been burned, but are still alive and growing. Many hundreds of years old, over a thousand in some cases, the redwoods are, to much cheap-end word in its old strict strong sense, they are awesome. They dwarf you, making you feel your smallness and it's scarcely anything else does. Great numbers of redwoods were thoughtlessly felled in California's uh, logging days, but more recently they have come to be appreciated and preserved. And redwood parks are today invested with a kind of sanctity. There's a 31-mile road winding through the redwood groves, and it's fittingly called the Avenue of Giants. Packer goes on to say, California's redwoods make me think of England's Puritans, another breed of giants who in our time have begun to be newly appreciated. Between 1550 and 1700, they too lived unfrilled lives in which, speaking spiritually, strong growth and resistance to fire and storm were what counted. As redwoods attract the eye because they overtop other trees, so the mature holiness and seasoned fortitude of the great Puritans shine before us as a kind of beacon light, overtopping the stature of the majority of Christians in most eras, and certainly so in this age of crushing urban collectivism, when Western Christians sometimes feel and often look like ants in an anthill or puppets on a string. This picture, this reference to... to to these Puritans and them being like giant redwoods, I think is appropriate. You read their writings, you, you hear the way they think, you hear the way they work, you see what they accomplished as, as Puritans came to the United States and the, 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 the core of what they believed and their convictions and how the gospel went forward and how great awakenings took place. There was a certain amount of awesomeness in it. You think of the way in which we live down here. And we have trees that are here. It rains. And at least around this area, when it rains and the leaves get too wet, trees just fall over all over the place here. It's like they don't know what to do. It rained in Southern California. If the ground gets too moist, they just fall right down to the ground, roots all over the place. They fall. But not the redwoods, even thousands of years old been through storms, been through fires, been through rain and rain and rain and all kinds of things, winds blowing at incredible speeds, and yet they are still there. The Puritans had a, 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 a thought that, that no sermon should end unless it improved us. 
unless it changed us, unless it applied to us. No sermon should end unless it has some kind of effect on us. As I was preparing for this morning's sermon, I heard things from a few people just in fun, like, you're studying for this, this Sunday sermon? I mean, the story hasn't changed at all. He rises again from the dead. It's the same. It's the same. And I know for us here, we know the story, don't we? We know that he's risen from the dead. We know that he died on the cross and was buried, and three days later, just as he said, he rose again from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he takes us through the importance of the resurrection and the proof of the resurrection and all that God has accomplished for us through the resurrection. And then he gets to the final verse of chapter 15 and he gives that verse that's supposed to affect us, that's supposed to improve us, that's supposed to change us. And so I want to start our sermon there so that we don't miss it and go from there to why is it the case. And so he comes to the final verse of 1 Corinthians 15 and says, therefore, therefore, as a result of everything that I've said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the conclusion. And so you're here this morning, and God would say, as a result of Easter, as a result of the resurrection, as a result of his death and burial, and resurrection as a result of your salvation beloved brethren be steadfast be immovable always abounding in the work of the lord god knows every one of us here he knows whether that describes us he knows whether we are a redwood planted that's been through trial after trial, difficulty after difficulty, good times, difficult times, and we're immovable. We're steadfast. We're there. We continue day in and day out, continuing to serve Him, to live for Him, to glorify Him. Or He knows whether we're just a reed that is there, that is just ready to bust at any moment. He knows whether your Christian life goes in spurts, where it's Sunday morning, spurt, rest of the week, sputter. He knows whether it's like that. He knows whether we are consistent and we continue and we live in such a way in which reflects what God has done for us, who He is, what He has accomplished for our lives, how He's given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to do all these things. He knows these things. And the Holy Spirit's inspiring Paul to write, now, beloved brethren, and I would say, believers here, beloved brethren, be steadfast. 
Be steadfast. Be, be, be the one that, that, that you just, you continue and you continue and you're steady and it's your life, it's your Christianity, it is what you do. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and it permeates every aspect of your life. The way that you pray, it's not spurts of prayer. It's not spurts of reading God's Word. It's not spurts of solid doctrine. It's not spurts of faithfulness. It's not spurts of of being a, a, a good husband or a good wife or a good parent or a good child who is obedient to their parents. This applies for all of you kids as well. It, it's, it's the way in which we live. There's not spurts of like, oh, I should evangelize more. There's not spurts of, I should give more of my time or my resources. There's not spurts in our lives as far as, now's the time where I, I, sh- I should probably get things together. Some of you may be here this morning, and if you're honest with yourself, you were more faithful and more on fire for your Lord Jesus Christ when you were in junior high than you are today. And that's horrible. To think that you were more on fire for the Lord 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago than you are today, when you've grown in your wisdom and knowledge of God's Word, when God's been sanctifying you and working in you and teaching you and the saints have been around you to feed you, but you were more on fire for the Lord back at some particular time in your life than you are today? This passage does not describe you. God's calling us, be steadfast. Have it be where this affects your life. You are one who is just, you continue. You are like a redwood and you just continue year after year after year after year wanting to be the good and faithful servant in whom he's well pleased. You just, you depend on him. You walk with him. You put on the full armor of God and you're in his word and you have the shield of faith and you're just, you've got your saints that are around you building you up and you want to run with endurance. You want to keep your eyes fixed upon the goal. You want to have your eyes fixed upon your Savior and you run like that. Be immovable, a pillar. You don't get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You don't get tossed to and fro by the temptations that come your way. You're not someone who's just living your life and you do this and you do this and you just keep going in such a way in which nobody knows what's going to happen from a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. God calls us, be steadfast, be immovable. But what an awesome picture. I mean, you, you, you want that from your army, don't you? steadfast army not where every once in a while they just run a steadfast army an immovable army where they just they plant and it's just like you're not going through us you want that and here's what god's calling us to steadfast immovable immovable whatever temptations this world could offer They will not move us. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Think of that portion of the verse. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's consistent. It's steady. God's gifted each one of us in different ways for the work of the Lord. For Him. We want to serve Him. We want to live for Him. We want to please Him with our lives. I read from Charles Spurgeon on this section. 
And he says, do much, very much, all you can do, and a little more. How is that, says one? How, how do you not think a man is doing all he can do if he's attempting more than he will complete? Our vessels are never full till they run over. A little over proves our zeal, tries our faith, casts us upon God, and wins his help. That which we cannot do of ourselves leads us to call in divine strength, and then wonders are wrought. If, if you're only aiming at what you feel capable to accomplish, your work will be a poor one, lacking in heroism, deficient in the noble element of confidence in the unseen Lord. Abound then and superabound in the work of the Lord. Abound, have it be more. Be, be such where it's just, I want to do more. I want to serve Him. I want it to be every part of my life. If I go to work, may I abound in the work of the Lord at work. If I go to school, may I abound in the work of the Lord at school. If I'm at home, may I abound in the work of the Lord at my home. If I run a, a shop, may I abound in the work of the Lord in that shop. Whatever it is that you're doing, may you abound in the work of the Lord. It's this idea of it just abounding. Whenever I hear that word, I just think of Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls abounds. It abounds. You go there today, it is abounding. You go there tomorrow, it's still abounding. You can go on the hottest day of the summer, it is abounding. There is water just pouring forth, and it has, as long as any one of us have been around, it has been abounding. And thousands of years more. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding. Looking at your life and saying, what can I do for Him and for His glory? Calling upon His enabling to do these things. Because please know, you could go out of here and try to abound all you want. But if it's not through the enabling of the Holy Spirit that's working in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure, it's not happening. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that the labor, that your labor, is not in vain in the Lord. And so he, he closes with this. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not for nothing. None of this is for nothing. When you get to the point of just like, I'm exhausted, I'm too tired, I don't want to do this anymore, Paul's just saying, just be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because it's not for nothing, it's not in vain, there is a reason for it, you are serving the living God. So do that. Text prior to this verse. He goes through and proclaims the resurrection. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried And then he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. This is what I'm delivering to you, Paul says. This is what took place. As a result, 
Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because Christ died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. If, if, if we think of that message, if we think of the gospel, if we think of what's taking place, and it doesn't change us, it doesn't improve us, we didn't get the doctrine. God help us not to think, like, I get the doctrine. If our lives don't have fruit in them that look like steadfastness, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, you may know it, but you didn't get it. The fruit of what God has done should result in steadfastness, being immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. In this chapter, in verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached, that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Now, Paul knows that Christ has risen from the dead. He had just gone through and said he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. Most of them are still alive, he's saying, just years later. You could talk to them. Some have, some have died, some have fallen asleep, but most of them are still alive. He appeared to 500 people. The people reading this would have been like, yeah, we know. We've heard the 500 people. The 500 people have told us that he rose again from the dead, that they saw him. The disciples told us that they saw him. Thomas, the doubter, told us that he saw him. He put his his hand in in, in Jesus' hand and his hand in his side. Peter, who was the one who denied Christ three times, told us that he saw him. These guys, they know that they saw him. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't even know if this is true. I don't know if the resurrection is true. People will die for a lot of things. They won't die for a lie. There comes a point where you're just like, you're going to crucify me upside down? You're going to run me through with a spear? You're going to kill my wife? You're going to kill my kids? You're killing all those around me? Okay, like, I, I give up. I'll show you where the body is. Any one of them could have bailed out at any time, and yet they did not. Not only that, but you'll do a lot of things for some things, but not, not a lie. You, you're going to go, I mean, think about it. You're, you're in Jerusalem. Are you going to go to India? Are you going to go to China? Are you going to travel to Europe? Are you going to go down to Africa? Are you going to go and spend the rest of your life in Turkey? Are you going to leave your family, your language, everything you know to go to the uttermost parts of the world proclaiming the gospel? Because that is what the disciples did. They went all over the place proclaiming the gospel. And so here Paul's writing and he's saying, now if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how does someone among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Why do you say that you're not going to rise again from the dead? If Christ rose again from the dead, why would you say that you're not going to? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Because if we saw Christ, he rose again from the dead. And if he's risen, then you know that you will rise again too. You say you're in this room and you believe that Christ died on the cross for your, for your sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day and your hope for salvation is in him. You will rise again from the dead just as he has done. You can know that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you and it's kept by the very power of God until the day of redemption. It will be revealed in the last time. It's reserved for you. You think of your salvation. You have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that you will rise again from the dead. When you die, it is not over. He rose again from the dead and so will you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised you up together that you would sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think of that verse. This is radical to us. He rose again from the dead so that he could put you in heaven with him to sit together with him in the heavenly places. He, while you were still dead in your trespasses, he made you alive with Christ. And he will cause you to rise again from the dead. Why? So that in the ages to come, it means forever. So forever and ever, a billion years from now, still taking place. A trillion years from now, still taking place. He might show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So forever and ever, he is going to show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards you through Christ. You hear that alone? He rose again from the dead by his grace, not because of you. Makes you sit in the heavenly places with him so that he could forever show you the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards you. So you die. You get to not go to hell, but rather you get to go to heaven and forever and ever 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 and even beyond that, he is showing you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. So be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord because your time here, God tells us, it's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Anybody here who has grandkids will tell you, like my kids' grandma told them yesterday, nine years goes by like that, right? Jonathan's nine, goes by like that. He'll be 18 in nine years, eight and a half, we're going to be technical. And what's the result? 
It happens like that. And you watch your kids grow up, it just it, it happens so quickly. Your life's but a vapor. Pastor Bill, 96 years old, will tell you that he still feels like he's young. Just can't do the same things anymore. You heard him from this pulpit, like, I had, I had no idea I was going to live this long. <laughs> he said, if I knew, I would have taken care of my knees. 96 years old, and if you ask him, it went by like that. Your life's but a vapor. In light of what eternity looks like for you, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not in vain. It's not for nothing. In verse 15, he tells us, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. And the opposite of that is this. If he did rise again, then we are not false witnesses of God. If he didn't rise again, we're false witnesses. But if he did, we are not false witnesses. And Paul's whole emphasis is he did rise again from the dead. So as a result, we're true witnesses. We have the gospel. We have the best news that anybody could ever hear. So go and proclaim it. How foolish does it seem to, to go about our lives and be like, ah, I just don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. I mean, they're, they're going in a direction of eternity and hell. I mean, God says that the wages of sin is death. God talks about hell, talks about blackest darkness, the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, a quenchable fire, eternal fire. He talks so clearly about hell. And for us to be like, yeah, but in our day and age, it's just like, don't bring up hell nobody likes that don't talk about sin don't talk about i mean to each their own let everybody do their own thing and don't offend anybody how unloving is that i mean if if christ has risen from the dead and the only way that you could rise again from the dead and spend eternity with him is through faith in the lord jesus christ and his death for you his burial and his resurrection then why would we not abound in the work of the lord be steadfast in that be immovable in that have it be that which just marks our life as of of those that desire to profess christ and salvation and and bring the gospel the good news to everybody that we possibly can be a redwood don't be a twig be a redwood be in a place of like of course we're gonna do that we know these things we know these things In verse 16, he says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. If Christ isn't risen, then your faith is for nothing, and you're still dead in your sins. But what's Paul saying? He is risen. So what does that mean? It It means your faith isn't futile. Your faith is real. It matters. The one in whom you put your hope in is the only one in this universe in whom you can put your hope in. Like the disciples saying, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? Our faith is real. And get this, you're not dead in your sins. You're no longer dead in your sins. If, if we had lenses to be able to see what we were like before Christ... Oh, you would be steadfast and immovable 
and always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you could see it, let me help you see it just a little bit. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. The inclination of their heart is only evil continually. They hate me, God says. They hate me. That's who you were. If you grew up just like, I'm basically pretty good. God's saying, no, you're not. You're not. There's none that are righteous. No, not one. I mean, you may be good in comparison to other people, but you're not good in comparison to a holy God. If you can see a holy God and then see your sin, and you see that you're no longer dead in your sins, you're no longer dead in your sins, be steadfast. How absurd is it for us to be no longer dead in our sins and be like, I love him, I love him not. I love him, I love him not. I love him, I love him not. Why would we ever think that way if we're no longer dead in our sins? You're not dead in your sins anymore if your faith is in Christ. If you could see yourself now a new creation in God, He's made you a new creation. He's given you robes of righteousness. He's given you the very righteousness of Christ. He's imputed it upon your account. Your sins have been removed, hurled into the depths of the sea. He remembers it no more, and he's replaced it with the very righteousness of Christ. Think about that. You, how, how else do you approach the throne of God boldly? Who approaches the throne of God boldly? And yet he tells us in his word that we will approach the throne boldly. The only reason why you in eternity will approach the throne of God boldly, the only reason why you will be there, the only reason why you will see his face, the only reason why you will enter into the joy of the Lord is because you are no longer dead in your sins. Rather, you have the very righteousness of Christ on your account. Radical. It should change everything for us. I mean, you're, you're not being steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord because you're just trying to build good karma up. You're not being steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord because you're trying to earn his favor. You're doing it because you are no longer dead in your sins. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. It's not for nothing. It is the response of worship of one who was dead in his sins, who has been made alive in Christ. And it ought to change everything for us. Then also, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ has not risen, then those who have died before us have perished. They are gone. They cease to exist. But what if he has risen again from the dead? Then they have not perished. They have not perished. If Christ has risen from the dead, all those that have gone before us have not perished, but they have entered into eternal life. This is not it. He goes on in a few verses and says that if that is the way, I mean, if if Christ has not risen, then let's, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just live it up for today. Let's party for today. Let's live for today. 
if Christ is not risen. But if he has risen, then the person who dies does not perish. And we ought not to eat, drink, and be merry as if we're going to die tomorrow and live it up here on earth like this is the last thing that happens. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you died today, you do not perish. You're with Him. You enter into the joy of the Lord. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Seeing the face of God, going to His throne boldly. Being able to just be in His glory and in His joy for all eternity. Get that? Like, it, no, no matter how much suffering you go through right now, it is not for nothing. It's for the eternal weight of glory. You worship Him in the midst of suffering. You worship Him in the midst of difficulty. You worship Him in all, him in all that you're going through. And Christ is exalted in incredible ways. It is not for nothing. When you persevere and you continue and you're steadfast and you're immovable and you're abounding in the work of the Lord, it is not for nothing. And so examine your life. What is it like? Are you a redwood? You don't have to be a Puritan to be a redwood. You don't have to drive a wagon to be a redwood. You don't need to wear a black top hat or a foofy white collar. You, you don't need that. To be a redwood is someone who looks at the resurrection, Christ's death and his resurrection, what he has accomplished for you. And it properly affects every area of your life. We need redwoods today. We need redwoods. We need people who will stand for their faith in Christ. We need people who will be immovable when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel and faithfulness of doctrine. We need people who are just steadfast. They continue and they continue regardless of whatever storm comes their way because Christ is worthy of it. We need those that are abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding. Not, what are you going to make me do? Abounding. Doesn't mean you're here. Doesn't mean that you're playing the piano like Pastor Jeff did or leading worship like Pastor Matt did. It doesn't mean that you're singing like the girls were up here. Elena, Chrissy, Analia. You, 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 you don't want me trying to play in their role. <laughs> Trust me, you don't. You want to use the gifts that God has given to you, the calling that he has given you. And you want to abound in it. You want it to be abounding not how much can i live for the world and just kind of do the stuff of the world and then what does god require of me it's not that's not what this verse is talking about is it 
I mean, he's gone through the resurrection and talked about what Christ has done, and it's, therefore, beloved brethren, steadfast, immovable, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it's not in vain. There is a reason for it. And so if you're in this place and you have been doing little sprints here and there, sputtering here and there, inconsistent, you're the one whose faith in Christ was greater when you were in junior high than it is now. Repent. Repent. It means make a change of direction. Go in the opposite direction. God's calling you to repent. Don't sit there in this Easter message and be like, I've heard the story of Easter again. Apply it. Christ came to earth. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Have it affect your life. Have his death have his burial, have his resurrection, and have the offer of salvation that comes through faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone impact you, change you. It ought to. We do not live in a church age of redwoods. We do not. We need to be in a place of I will serve him like that for he is worthy of that. And if I'm not, I will repent of the things that I've done before. And I am going hard, hard towards him. Through his empowering, through his enabling, through his guidance based on his word, through the gifts that he's given me, through the full arm of God that he has blessed me with, through prayer and his enabling, through his word and his instruction, through fasting in him, calling me towards that through saints that are around me to build me up in all of these things in his will by his enabling i want to run hard to the finish line because christ is risen indeed amen Amen. may we not leave a sermon without improvement as the holy spirit works in our lives to bring changes that are necessary for his glory and for our good let's pray together Lord God, we love your word. We thank, we're so thankful for your word. I pray, Lord, that if, if there's a fourth grader in here, a first grader in here, someone in their senior years of, of retirement, someone that's just been laboring in the, in, in, as, as a mom or laboring as a dad or laboring in their singleness and being in a place of just growing weary and they, they, they've, they've sprinted a little bit and then sat on the sideline for, for days or weeks or months or even years, I pray, Lord, that you would so work in our lives based on the fact that there is no longer any sin on us and that our faith is not in vain and that we will rise again and we will spend eternity with you and we will never perish. We will spend eternity with our Savior seated in heavenly places and that that, that that mindset would just fuel us to live for you, to repent, to make a change of direction and, and, and follow you running hard all the days of our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would just root us and ground us, give us bark that's a foot thick 
Make it so that whatever trial we're going through cannot penetrate us because your Holy Spirit has made us redwoods in this church age today. May we love doctrine. May we love your word. May we delight ourselves in prayer and in praises. I pray that there would be some just serious abounding, abounding in our work for you. Show us, Lord, where that can take place. Make Easter 2017 the time in which you worked in a radical way in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.